Hello and welcome to Stuff You Should Know About Oil and Gas Production. I'm your host, Curtis Winkle. This episode is actually the second part of a two-part conversation we had with Eric Bowles from CSI Compression about gas-assisted plunger lift and compression at the wellhead. So if you missed the first part, go back and listen to our previous episode. Otherwise, we'll jump back in with some questions from Kyle. How, how common is it that, you know, you already mentioned on oil wells, they're being pumping units, uh, you know, in a couple different uh, types of artificial lift going on at the same time. But uh, how often do you see people using gas lift along with plunger lift? So gas assisted plunger lift. I'm sure it's went on like here and there in a few spots for years with plungers. But the real rush that I've seen in my travels around the U.S. and Canada has really been in the last four years or so. Um, people realizing just, you know, pumping rods versus a plunger and gas lift, it's uh, it's less maintenance, it's it's cheaper. There's been a lot of uh, pumping rods being replaced by plunger lift oh. in Canada and the U.S. You see a lot of pumping oil wells where the... Uh, Liquid rates have dropped off. These horizontal wells came on, you know, real heavy producing large liquid volumes. And within a year, uh, dropped right off where, and the gas rates are still there to run a plunger. So they've been switching them over to plunger. A lot of them will use the compressor in conjunction. But in the last four years would be, I would say, far more people and uh, customers, producers, go into that gapple using gas lift with a plunger. So these wells before a plunger lift company would have to look at them and say, you know, the gas drive's not there. We just don't have the gas volume or drive to lift the fluids that are in the well. Whereas mm -hmm. now they, they they can, right, by just adding a compressor. So, and I, I think you'll see a lot more of it becoming more and more common. At what point in the, the well's production or the well's life cycle do you see these uh, compressors typically being installed? Is it, you know, on legacy wells that production has dropped way down uh, or do you even see them on new production? Yeah, and it would just be the size of the compressor, really. So we're seeing them on brand new stuff right from, from the get-go. So they'll put gas lift, you know, mandrels in a well and have that making sure you can run a plunger in the same tubing string with your gas lift. And they've already sized a compressor right from day one, a large horsepower compressor. So you'll see a lot of that on on newer strong wells with just larger horsepower, like you know, 200 and some horsepower compression on site. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe doing a cup, maybe doing a couple of wells on the pad, and then as you get later on in life, that's where you know the stuff that I'm a little more involved with, the gas jack compressor, which is a 46 horsepower compressor, will come in and replace some of these 200, 150 horsepower compressors that the wells have depleted, and now they just they don't need that much compression on site anymore. The liquid you know, has, has depleted on the wells, smaller compressions, all that's required. So they're down, they'll downsize the compression to, to a gas jack compressor. And, you know, there is another, there's another great example of, you know, why you maybe wouldn't want to own the larger horsepower and just have it on a rental again. Cause if you want to downsize, you can just release the more expensive, larger compressor, and then just take another rental of a smaller compressor. Right. And you're not, uh, have all these oversized compressors. Right. So Right. Uh, that's a conversation that we always have, seem to have with our customers is, um, you know, they size our valves for initial production. Uh, things are going great. And then, you know, the well quickly falls off and then they start seeing issues, uh, operational issues with our valves. Uh, and they just end up being really oversized um, yeah. that application. 
Um, so yeah, it's it's something you always have to keep your eye on. That's it in a nutshell. Everything the wells have changed from day one, and like you said about uh, the Kim raising customers' buildings, or you know, and then you put a compressor after a separator, and they've got a, a Kim Ray in there that you know has a seven eighths worth trim in it, right? Mm-hmm. And you're trying to get this pressure off the well to the compressor, but nobody's looked at once you start pulling the well down, you can't get the flow through. You got a restriction on the inlet, right? Because right. of the you know, the, like you said, right? It's it's no longer sized according properly, right? When you're in well optimization, it's all about pressure reduction. And when you're doing that, you're going to find restrictions. And if you don't find those restrictions, you'll find you're not helping the well out, eh? Because you, you can't get the pressure down like you want to until the well's loaded up and not getting too technical on it. But uh, yeah, a lot of well sites where we were going to, we weren't successful where a guy like myself went out there and, well, this is what's wrong. There's, there's a choke or uh wrong size trim and uh, kim ray or something upstream of the compressor was which was the whole problem right once we remove yeah. that i i totally agree with you on that being a very common problem is oversizing in in all aspects and and having oh, yeah. everything's got a, a reason for why it's built that way and it's got to be in the right <laughs> place and doing <laughs> its job at the time so that's right yeah, it's not just a set it and forget it type world in the oil and gas with you know all that stuff so Oh, yeah. As much as people would like it to be, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. If you want it to be truly optimized and trouble-free, right? Because whether <laughs> it's right. com- compression or surface equipment, I mean, it's uh, if it's set up properly and sized properly, it works great. If it's not, there's where all your troubles come in. In reality, yep. that's 90% of the issues we'll face in well optimization, whether it's with the compressor itself or the optimization of the well. It wasn't uh, sized or set up properly so on the uh on the compressors that you're involved with on an injection well what's what's the typical injection pressure that i know there's a lot of variables that you know would change this but what's the typical injection pressure and what are some of the factors that help you determine what what pressure to start with yeah we it's it's kind of like you said it's all over the board because it's really driven by liquid volumes for the most part you've got well depth and and some other stuff to to take to take um have a have a place in that equation but for the most part it's liquid driven so it's hard to give an exact answer where you'd see but typically if you know, I, I'll, I'll give you an answer which i would go by liquid volume so if if you've got a well that's over producing over 100 barrels of total fluid a day whether it's water and an oil mix or whatever it is there but Let's use for a rule of thumb about 100 barrels or higher liquid volumes per day, and you're going to run gas lift on that or a gas lift with a plunger like Gapple. You're probably looking at 600 to 900 PSI would be your injection pressures. Once the well's optimized, you might have to kick a well off with, you know, 1100 PSI. So sizing the compressors for those gas lift jobs, yeah, knowing your kickoff pressure is pretty crucial because there's the pressure you're going to have to build to get the well to kick off if the well's loaded up and missed a plunger cycle or something. Mm-hmm. And then once it's optimized, that injection pressure may drop as low as 600 PSI. So you may have a compressor that's got to go from, let's say, 80% of its run times at like 600 PSI to, you know, once every three days, it's got to kick a well off because something happened. The plunger didn't make an arrival and we had twice as much fluid trapped in the in the tubing. You had to go up to about a thousand PSI. Yeah. But, uh, what's the flexibility on those compressors? Can they handle those? It seems from my experience, there's a pretty narrow window of 
you know, uh, where a compressor operates at its most efficient. Like, do those large swings and discharge pressure affect the compressor, or can it can it handle that without much adjustment? So the the larger compressors that are doing this 600 to 1,000 PSI definitely can't handle that type of swing, like you said, because your gas temperatures, temperatures are changing so much and the compression ratios uh, is just not going to work. So a lot of those guys are running the compressors loaded up at near the max, right? So if you know mm-hmm. that well needs to hit 900 PSI every once in a while, they probably got the compressor loaded at like, you know, 950 or 1,000 pounds since they're running, and then they allow the injection gas back into the injection on multiple wells on the site um, as required, mm-hmm. and they may yeah. be, you know, 600 pounds on on them, for example, right, the actual injection pressure. So you'll see a lot of that going on so that so the compressor itself stays loaded where it likes to be. Now, okay. if you look at the gas jack compressor, it's unique design. Uh, being a single stage compressor uh, it can really handle a wide variety of compression ratios so yeah we'll we won't be over uh, 500 psi with our gas jack compressor but for example a lot of wells will do gapple or plunger assistant gas injection on those wells we may have a kickoff pressure of 400 or 425 psi and then once the wells online and flowing you're running like 150 psi so that little compressor can handle those types of swings and our our auto gas lift system which we use kimray kimray to build our injection shifts injection system as well it's it's similar where we may have a pipeline at 40 psi and we may be injecting into a casing at 400 psi and mm-hmm. we'll do the on off cycling with the gas jack and not have to sit there and load that compressor at 400 psi all the time because because of its design and ability to withstand those large discharge pressure swings so big compression would be a yeah you can't have the discharge pressure swinging that much or you're gonna have a lot of problems and in right. the, the gas jack you can actually get away with with a lot of it there so yeah uh it may be the same case well, the differences between a large and a small compressor but the suction controller uh, that's what we get the most calls about uh when people are having issues with their compressors um can you talk about the the window of operation keeping that suction pressure constant and and when it's not constant how that affects the compressor the suction controller on a compressor is really the load control so it's really the most crucial thing in my opinion is 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 the suction controller and how it is sized and set up to work properly because it's just like taking your car or being an agricultural boy a a combine if you don't control the load you're throwing into it it's not going to work very good for you Combine's going to be plugged all the time and a bunch of problems and a gas compressor is the same. If we have the suction fluctuating or bouncing because we don't have smooth throttling of that gas and, you know, a five to 10 pound suction swing on a compressor is a tremendous load change on that engine and compressor. So we got surging going on, you know, all kinds of stuff that's hard on, on all equipment, governor to the engine itself and compressor itself from changing RPM, swinging up and down because the load's changing up and down. And then back to your comment before there, Kyle, about um, sizing it properly, right? So especially with our small compressor where that little gas jack compressor, we, we may be pulling vapor recovery and we don't even have a suction controller or it's a really low, low pressure and we want an inch and a half or a full port Kimray on our suction controllers. So we have no restriction, but then that same compressor may need to move 
to a Gapple application where we're going to run 50, 60 PSI suction, uh, you know, and we got to throttle some pressure back. So you, if you try using the same trim, you really got to have some way of, of smoothing that out because you're, it's going to bounce all over the place, right? So between changing the trim size to fit the application is what we do at Compresco a lot, control that suction. And then, you know, obviously there's other things that guys in the field are doing with electronic controllers and some other stuff, but yeah, the uh, suction controller would be the most crucial part of, of your compressor because that, that, that controls the load. So. Yeah. Do you see the use of uh, bypass controllers or, or low suction recirculation valves or even high discharge recirculation valves? Yeah, we use a lot of them. There's a lot of them being used in gas lift, of course, because like I said, you're you're almost loading a compressor up to that up to that amount, right? And uh, mm -hmm. using a recycle on a high pressure recycle or a low pressure recycle. So we use them low and highs. And of course, we we use Kimry on all of our gas jack products, but um, and we'll use uh, HPG thirty controllers or an HPG one fifty or seventy five for high pressures, and use anything from a one inch Kimry to the two inch Kimry and all different trim trim sizings, you know, as required type thing. So, do you see more automation coming into play with uh, gas jack specifically, or and just kind of overall? I think I think overall, you know the the amount of uh, technology that's going into gas compression and, and all that stuff is is really lowering the amount of labor in the field, lowering your amount of uh, repair maintenance costs because that technology is there now to basically be monitoring the compressor and its parameters and all of its parameters 24 hours a day, almost like you've got a guy standing at their compressor panel watching it, right? So that technology, that's something we've really driven with at CSI Compresco, but um, having that ability to reduce runtime, re catch failures before they actually happen by watching stuff so closely in real time. Yeah, the technology is there and in automation as well, right? The, the on-off cycling, having to have a compressor set up to work with a plunger lift like we were talking, right? Adding gas lift in cycle with the plunger, you're going to automate your compressor to start and stop. We've got units that start and stop depending on the plunger on the well. So mm -hmm. when the plunger well turns on, the, the gas compressor reads that and starts itself up, starts the engine up and, and starts producing the well. You know, so there's less, less emissions going on, less less runtime required. If, you, if the compressor doesn't need to be running during a well shut-in period, we don't need to do that anymore, right, with the technology. So, yeah, there's a lot of it and you can see it continually grow. And the demand for electric compression you know growing all the time you see more and more uh demand from customers for for more electric compression that's that's a, that's a thing of interest you know you got your main uh your main maintenance part on a compressor for the most part is going to be your engine because that's the most wearable part just like your car your your engine's probably going to be more maintenance than the transmission in it for the most part so if you looked at the compressor as the transmission and the engine as a driver, like compared to a car and a natural gas compressor, your your engine is going to need more maintenance, right? And right. Do you think the the infrastructure exists to to run electric compression? I think I, there's, uh, there's my, places. <laughs> you know, most of the time you're just running it off the natural gas produced by the well. That's, that's correct. Yeah, I think people like it for for less maintenance, but like you say, you got to have the power generated from something too. So you're, you're either running what a large generator. 
I know a lot of guys uh, in the U.S. that are into the in the power generation as well, right? But you know, just like you say, you're still burning fossil fuels to power the electric, right? But I guess the idea is maybe you're generating more power with one large turbine generator or something, right? And having less uh, remote engines running, right? So a little less maintenance cost in that in that way of, of seeing it, I guess. But yeah. the infrastructure to be to be there to just to go over to all electric compression, I would say no, that's definitely not there at all. It's probably the same place we right now with everybody going to electric cars tomorrow. <laughs> and the infrastructure right. in your homes and streets being able to take that kind of charging, it it just it's not there. But um, you can see it going more in that path, anyways, because it's, it's probably less maintenance, right? So yeah, yeah, just just the the advantages of the automation side seem there, and the technology seems to be close to there, but the adoption is what's what's kind of slow to kick in and it's just because of the nature of our industry it's kind of up and down it's hard to sometimes hard to invest in the infrastructure consistently so and of course you know there's lots of guys i deal with like small customers that they've actually had power on sites and and uh, you know if they can get away with it they'd rather not pay the power bill of you know fourteen hundred dollars a month to run up to run a pump jack in canada and just put an old arrow engine on it an sure. old arrow pump jack engine because it's it's actually far cheaper to run than the power right yeah. so <laughs> I see a lot of everything depends on the customer and yeah. what they're trying to do. But uh, anyways. What, uh, what sets apart, you know, CSI Compressco from, from other compression companies? Well, we, we kind of touched on a little bit there in that last comment about, about technology, but uh, yeah. really, you know, I guess the massive range of compression that we do offer from 5,000 horsepower down to 50, electric and gas driven screw compressors and recips that's that's one of our big ones we got a footprint in most of the main hubs of the usa and all the big place we got a large footprint so we're, we're there so we're working with one customer in colorado we're probably working with the same customer in a, with wells down in south texas right so we've got that going for us um the well optimization side i'd like to think that we for a big big horsepower compression and having our small horsepower well optimization fleet i i would say we're the strongest in that having both the well optimization that's was really part and key of and spent a lot of time in is on that so i think that's where it sets us apart customers phone us for suggestions on what we need to do with a plunger lift well or uh, maybe a pump and rod removal switch into uh, you know our automated gas lift system and a small horsepower compressor that we know what we're talking about. We're, we're able to help guide the customer on a, on a, a solution. So I think that's really sets us apart. And then the other thing would be like, we were talking about the technology and that's just the uh, plain and simple fact that uh, this Helix digital uh, compression uh, monitoring system we've got now on our big compressors. So just like I was saying, we got this automated learning system that's watching that compressors each stage of compression, suction and discharge, you know, temperatures, RPM, every, everything on the unit. So that sits there and the computer's reading that all the time and it's, it's learning from it. And then it decides when something's going out of those parameters that there's an alarm that goes off. So just an example, let's say, uh, you know, we know the suction pressure, we know the discharge pressure on our first stage of a three-stage compressor, and we know our inlet temperature and outlet temperature. Well, those should stay within the same parameters, depending on, you know, the compression ratio and the temp inlet temp to out temp should be close. If we know that and that machine's watching that and that goes out of that spectrum, we know we probably got a compressor valve problem. 
for an example. So before there's a major catastrophic failure or lost production or downtime, we've already been alerted that this is going out of its realm. That compressor valve is not performing the way it should be. And then we can go and deal with the problem. So that's, you know, in my opinion, what really sets us apart right now in the large horsepower is, you know, our packages are obviously very well built and customers like the CSI Compresco packages on our big stuff. And then you add in that new technology and, and uh, learning system that we're, we're running on satellite that's up to date monitoring. And I mean, I think it's just really impressive on how much more we can do for the customers. So if uh, if customers want to learn more about about you, Eric, or about Compresco, is it csicompresco.com? Is that the best place to go? Yeah, that's probably the best place to go on there. And you can reach out to sales if you want on there or anything, and see our product lines and what there is to offer. That's great. Right, cool. We'll have to uh, we'll have to have you back on uh, to talk about the differences in uh, resip and then uh, screw compressors. Yeah, sure. Eric, really appreciate your time, and, and uh, we're recording on, on Canadian Thanksgiving Day, so we appreciate you. I guess probably a day off for you. We appreciate you taking time out, and and happy, I guess we say happy Thanksgiving up there. Is that what we say? Sure. Sounds good. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for having me on the show, guys. I, I enjoy yeah. it. So. Yeah, so we'll have uh, we'll have links in the show notes to, I, I know we talked about suction control, and even we've got one about uh, oversized control valves and symptoms of that. And that Kyle, I learned a new acronym today, GAPL, I think is what Eric said, GAPL for gas lift and plunger lift at the same time. Did I get that right, Eric? Yep, gas-assisted plunger lift, yeah, GAPL. Plunger lift, GAPL, I like that. All right, well, we appreciate you joining us, and we'll catch you next time on Stuff You Should Know About Oil and Gas Production. 